Money Books with Aaron, Timmy, Wayne, and Andrew. I'm Aaron. This is Wayne. This is Tim. I am Andrew. Well, hello, guys. How did a teleporter get captured again? I don't know. It just keeps happening, and and people have to listen to find out, I guess, how it happened again. <laughs> Weeks on down the road before they find that out. Months, probably, because <laughs> we have a ton of Knights of Rainsboro Season 2 content already recorded before we even get to what we're referencing. It, it's it's scary how much is in the can right now. When are, uh, when are new drops going to start, Aaron? You know, if people treat me right, we're going to drop our uh, Season 1 feedback episode this very week. So, but you got to be sweet to me. Donations of cigars and whiskey can be sent to Aaron Head, care of Funny Books International, at P.O. Box 1621, Greenwich, Massachusetts, 86302. And, uh, you know, I'm flexible on the whiskey. It could be, you know, Kentucky bourbon. It can be scotch. I'm, I'm, I'm generally pretty flexible on that. He's willing to try almost anything. I know this from experience. <laughs> well, you know, it's that whole slippery bandana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, a little bit of news this week in the comics world. Uh, we, heard, we heard, well, I don't even know if you can characterize it as news. We call it news, but I think it might be more appropriate to call it rumors, because we're not hearing this from Marvel. We are, however, hearing it from BleedingCool.com, that there will be a new Avengers book coming, and it will be called The Astonishing Avengers, because why? We don't have enough astonishing heroes. You know, you've got your astonishing X-Men, you've got your astonishing Spider-Man. Who else could be astonishing? The Avengers, I say. And what would make them astonishing? Well, Rick Remender writing that book, and perhaps uh, that Opeña fella drawing that book. That that. That could be astonishing. It could be. I could actually get behind a, a, a Rick Remender uh, Avengers. I still don't know if I need a fourth Avengers title, Aaron. Yeah, well, so so what do we got? We've got the Avengers. Right. We've got new Secret, Avengers. Yeah, new Avengers. Secret Avengers. Avengers, uh-huh. Oh, Avengers Assemble. Avengers Assemble. Avengers Academy. Oh, Dark yeah. Avengers. Dark Avengers. Good God. And now... Astonishing Avengers. Oh, and yeah, you could also throw in the Ultimate Avengers if you wanted to, you know, cross some lines there. So that is, uh, you know, seven, eight, depending on how you count it, Avengers books. See, you know, you would think that there was some kind of box office record crushing movie out at theaters right now. You know, that maybe we needed to just maximize how many how many Avengers books we have. You know, this is the the production line of entire comic book companies and what they're producing in Avengers. It's true. See, I'm just not sold on any of the uh, the Avengers books because I haven't really been enjoying them, so I've quit buying them all except for Avengers Academy. But I am completely on board with Avengers once Hickman takes over. Yeah, you know, uh, Hickman's wrapping up his run on Fantastic Four, and we, we – According to the rumors, he's going to go over to write the Avengers uh, for for Marvel. Um, it's a it, doesn't that seem a little too on the nose though? Because he's writing the Ultimate Avengers right now as well. I, I don't care. I like Jonathan Hickman so much as a writer. I, I and I don't read Ultimate Avengers, so uh, the idea of him writing the regular Avengers and I believe it's. Isad Ribic is going to be doing the art, so I'm I'm excited. I will probably start picking up Avengers again because I'm down to just new Avengers myself. Yeah. One thing I do predict is a at least a year long storyline if he takes over. 
Yeah, I'm okay yeah. with that. Yeah. And I, I, I certainly loved what he did over on Fantastic Four, and and continuing to enjoy his the one shots he's using to, uh, you know, round out that run there. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about that. You know, I was really concerned about you know Bendis leaving the Avengers because you know I've really enjoyed what Bendis has done there, but uh, it, it's nice to hear that I think it's going to be in good hands. I think Hickman's a, a good guy, and I'll be interested to see what he does there. So you know, he 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 creates a void. Over at uh, the Baxter building, you know, at the Fantastic Four offices. I believe voids tend to suck in anything that just happens to be in the vicinity. So so what what did this void suck into the FF title? Well, you know, it, when you think about it, you know, Hickman ha- has done a, a, a remarkable job, you know, re-elevating the first family of superhero comics to the top you know, of the comic book pyramid. I mean, these Fantastic Four is just is is as good as it's ever been right now true, under true. Uh, under the, uh, the the mantle of Jonathan Hickman. So you would assume that we're going to put our best talent to follow up Jonathan Hickman. Oh, so, yeah. They have to put somebody on there that's won funnies. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Funny, funny award winning writer has got to pick this up, right? Woo. I'm excited to hear who this is. Woo. Well, that narrows the field. It does narrow the field. And, you know, what's interesting to say is that this, the, the writer taking this over is a multiple funny award-winning uh, uh, writer. Oh, this guy's got to be awesome. Yeah. 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 I'm excited. It's going to be marvelous Matt Fraction. Oh. <sighs> and if you'll recall, he has won for... Uh, Two consecutive years, <laughs> our worst writer award. Um, I I will drop the Fantastic Four title like a hot potato when Hickman leaves. I've already dropped it because I know it's coming. <laughs> Preemptively, I don't want any fraction sneaking into this book. I'm. <laughs> I, yeah, I, uh, that's disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, that's very disappointing because because yeah. I mean FF is when I first started reading Hickman stuff, but then then I started picking Fantastic Four and he has done a marvelous job with it. Yeah, I am uh, intensely disappointed because I really enjoy Fantastic Four and FF. Um, I, I just don't see me picking those books up once Fraction comes over because he destroyed my Thor. Well, why would you pick up a turd potato, Aaron? You just <laughs> sensible people don't do that. A turd potato. You know, and the sad thing is, before winning the two worst writers, he won the best writer the year before that. Yeah, yeah, I know. It it, it has been a shocking turn uh, for the fraction. So, anyway, um, we do have the question, though, of uh, what's going to happen with the X-Men books. And rumor has it that Brian Michael Bendis, the fellow who's leaving Avengers, is going to be picking up both the X-Men, and Uncanny X-Men titles. This might be what it takes for me to get back into X-Men. I, let me tell you something else. I mean, I, I'm excited about it, and it makes me go, ooh, you know, I think I might be able to do the X-Men again. But did you guys see the ad this week for Greg Pak's new X-Men book? No. No. Let me see if I can find the ad real quick. It was. It's called Extreme X-Men. And I'm trying to find it. I think it was in Spider-Man. There's, yes. It's extreme spelled with an X. Yes, it's Xtreme X-Men, issue one. <laughs> They're taking down the multiverse, and it's a new ongoing series starting next month from Greg Pak. 
and it's picking up the characters that he used in his astonishing X-Men run. And I am just so excited about that. I don't know if you remember me guys going on and on about how much I enjoyed those Greg Pak stories. You know, he did like a three issue arc or so over there and he's taking those guys and doing this series. I am all in. I'm very excited about this. Wow. It looks like Wolverine, Nightcrawler and Emma Frost. Yeah. Although I'm wondering if they're a, uh, you know, alternate version. They are. They are oh, alternate. Okay. They're yeah. alternate. No, I, did, I did see that ad. I, I just blacked out my memory because I thought James Howlett, Emmalyn Frost, and Kid Nightcrawler. Yep. Yeah, these are alternate universe guys, and uh, just really, I thoroughly enjoyed the story Greg told. So uh, I am. I'm excited about this. So. Anyway, so it looks like, you know, if, if rumors are to be believed, we have got uh, three points of uh, really good news in terms of uh, who's doing what over at the, in the Marvel U. And, and four uh, points of really good news in DC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in DC, we, we, we heard some news about which of those four books are getting canceled. So I predicted Voodoo would be one of the four because I'm reading it and really enjoying it. Uh-huh. So, yes, it's being canceled. And then uh, Resurrection Man, which I thankfully dropped early on. I enjoyed it when it first started, the first few issues, but I dropped it after three or four. And then Justice League International, which you know I think should have been canceled at issue one. I'm st- <laughs> I've still been buying it. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then I I'm having some trouble with this fourth item on the list. This fourth one is the one that kills me the most. It, it's Captain Adam, and the best response was when Wayne read this to us, all three of us said, there's a Captain Adam book. (laughs) (laughs) I think we understand why this one's being canceled. (laughs) Obviously some bad marketing with the Captain Adam book since not one, but three of us didn't know it existed until it it got canceled. My first thought was, oh, this must have been one of the Wave 2 books because I didn't really do much with the Wave 2 ones. No, this was launched with the new 52. Yep, J.T. Cruel writing and uh, Freddie Williams on art. See, now I just feel bad because, you know, J.T. Cruel, we like him. We do. uh, And, uh, you know, I I love the artwork of Freddie Williams, so... uh, How do we miss this? I I don't know. Something's amiss here. (laughs) You know, I wish we had Paul here to tell us what issue one was like since he bought issue one of every New 52 book. Yeah, yeah. Forgettable, I'm guessing. (laughs) You know, I I have this fear that we'll go back to... uh, uh, you know, look at that episode where we talked about the number ones and find out that maybe all of us read it. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. So, you know, those are the four that they're clearing out of the way. And I got to tell you, none of those are a surprise. I mean, other than Captain Adam in that there was a book there to cancel. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the other three, I mean, I remember when Resurrection Man came out, I was like, really? You know, I, I and JLI was so weak on the first issue. Um, yeah, the bigger surprise is that they're not canceling more things like uh, Blue Beetle isn't selling very well, and uh, Demon Knights and a couple others are really low selling books. Yeah. Well, I think I think Wayne that they're going to keep this pattern for a while. I think they're going to keep this pattern of every couple of months they're going to cancel four and bring uh, four new in because they've said uh, that they want to stick. Or I should say Dan DiDio said they want to stick with these this fifty two titles total. Uh, in this universe, and they're going to phase things out as they bring things in. So give it a couple of months. I'm, I'm sure Blue Beetle will get canceled, too. 
Hmm. Yeah, it would not surprise me to see Blue Beetle come off the shelf. You know, they 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 really are trying hard to uh, have that character stick uh, because of the age appeal, but it doesn't seem to be happening. As much as I enjoy, I loved the uh, pre New Fifty Two Blue Beetle when it was being written by Matt Sturgis, but you know they they canceled that series too prior to the to the uh, you know relaunch. So since none of these books are bat related, once the uh, the Talon book comes out. We're going to be up to 13 Bat-related books that DC puts out. Is that true? It's, yeah. Tw- over 25% of the titles DC is releasing are Batman-related at this point. It's almost like there's going to be a multi-million dollar movie coming out later this summer <laughs> all about the Batman in Gotham. Now, you know, uh, the conversation lately has been, you know, will you know, the Batman movie surpass the Avengers now, are we talking? Are we talking the opening weekend box office, or are we talking about for its entire run? Opening weekend box office, domestically or international? Good God, I used to be on a on a movie podcast. <laughs> Seriously, it's important. <laughs> Domestic. See, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say I don't think it's going to beat the numbers that Dark Knight did. Even no, it, I I think it'll beat Dark Knight numbers. I don't, because I think Dark Knight pulled people in with the Heath Ledger Joker in the ads. I think more people saw it than would have otherwise, and I don't think the advertising with Bane... I mean, all of us are obviously going to go see it right away, because we we would see it no matter what. But I don't think that it's going to have the same pull that the yeah, Dark Knight did. but you're forgetting, Wayne, that now... Like, whereas before, there wasn't as prevalent. Now they can charge you an extra $4 and throw a set of fucking red and green glasses on your ass. But the other thing is that all those people, you're right, there are a bunch of people who want to go see uh, the second Batman movie because of the whole Heath Ledger angle. But I'm going to say almost all those people are going to be back after see Dark Knight Rises because they enjoyed it so much. They're going to go, oh, the new one's coming out. The second one's so awesome. Let's go see it. Do you think there's also that piece that people got so, so, so excited about the Avengers? The Avengers was so much fun. And, ooh, there's another comic book movie. Let's go see that. We know who Batman is. I mean, is there a piece of that as well? I would say so. Yeah. Or will Spider-Man kill that momentum? Uh, you know, we're going to be really harsh on Spider-Man, but for the general viewing public who aren't comic book nerds, they may love it. I don't know. I guess those previews look pretty decent. So, well, we we in the past have said we're not looking forward to it. We may change I, our opinions. But. I, I wasn't looking forward to it until the, the more recent trailers came out. Uh, my objection to, to Spider-Man has been that I didn't feel like it needed a reboot, but it does look kind of good. I've thought some of the trailers looked really good. Yeah. What killed my uh, excitement for it was the one trailer where he takes his mask off for most of the trailer. Yeah. And he spends a lot of his time fighting and saving people and all without the mask. Because that was what really, really bugged me with Spider-Man Two. Yeah. No, I, you know, I'm, I'm with you. It irritates me when the superhero takes his mask off so that we can see the actor. But, uh, uh, you know, it's just it's one of the realities of Hollywood movie making is that they they want you to see the pretty actor under the mask. I don't think Dark Knight is going to beat Avengers for its opening weekend. No, I don't think so either. I, I don't think that it has the. Uh, I think while while some while so many people really love Batman, it doesn't have the the warm fuzzy goodness that uh, Avengers has about it. Yeah, and Avengers was built up by other movies, you know, a whole series of movies that brought in different people to each movie. So I think it kind of has that going for it, which is 
why DC right now is trying to do the same thing. They've said that uh, they want to do a Justice League movie now after seeing all the success of the Avengers movie. And the, the first movie to kick this off is going to be the new Superman movie. Yeah, I think that the Justice League movie is going to suck. <laughs> I agree. Just saying. I think DC has no idea how to do a live-action version of any of their characters except Batman. And that's well, not just, that's not DC knowing how to do it. Christopher Nolan knew how to do Batman. Well, I think the problem is, is that DC doesn't have the infrastructure that, that uh, Marvel does in terms of their studio. Now, you know, they've got Warner Brothers out there. But you know, DC has not exercised the level of control over their their uh, product that Marvel has. I mean, the, the closest thing that they've come to that was the Green Lantern movie, and we saw how that turned out. Yeah, I mean, that was besides that, that was would bad. be horrible. DC can't even tell a good Superman story right now. What makes them think they can tell the good Superman movie? Yeah. Well, you know, I do have a lot of a, a lot of faith in the uh, director for the upcoming Superman movie, you know. Same fellow that brought us the 300 and Watchmen. I mean, he understands the genre. I am I I am going to give Zack Snyder, Zack Snyder, right? Yes. Uh, I'm going to give Zack Snyder the benefit of the doubt that he can give me a decent Superman. We'll see. We'll see. You know, and Warner has given uh, Warner and DC have given him a lot of latitude because they've got to deliver this movie fast. It has to come out. You know, and so they there it has not been bogged down in committee uh, to get this movie produced. So, so anyway, fingers crossed. J- just to put a few numbers behind it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The Dark Knight on its opening weekend made a hundred and fifty-eight million dollars. The Avengers opened uh, with two hundred and seven million dollars. Mm-hmm. So it's not impossible because again much as uh as our good friend tim was saying just the the introduction of the additional four dollars per ticket for 3d that was not around when the dark knight came out it, if it does similar numbers it could be close yeah we'll see yes we will <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so uh comic books whoa comic book movies <laughs> just, just, <laughs> comic books oh okay sorry Amazing. So amazing. No, you go go, no, 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 you, you, oh, okay. go me a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> amazing Spider-Man 687 came out this week, wrapping up the ends of the earth storyline. It's been going on now for one, two, three, four, five issues plus a one shot. What did you think about it, Aaron? Well, you know, uh, first off, I would like to say that I was uh, very appreciative that with my purchase of the book, uh, Marvel is now making Amazing Spider-Man available digitally as well, in, inclusive of your uh, print purchase. So yeah, you know that was important to my buying. <laughs> I know that it was Tim. I know that it was. But you know, I, I like that that I was able to uh, you know import that over to my iPad. So uh, yay on you, Marvel! More of that, please. I uh, I don't really have a lot to say about it to be to be honest. I. Uh, it didn't uh, stick the landing to me on the ending. As I, I say, when you say, say the I, ending, I totally, I totally disagree. I, I love this book. Okay, tell me about that. It was very, it was, okay, well, it was very smartly written. Um, you have a uh, you, you have a scene where uh, Otto Octavius uh, takes over Thor's body, and then he immediately drops the hammer, and it's just a, a you know a close up of Majolner. I did really like that scene. You're absolutely right. I thought I thought the scene, you know, uh, Doctor Octopus is doing his thing where he's possessing people, 
And so he hops into Thor and continued him. I, I love the fact where they made a callback to the uh, free comic book day uh, Spider-Man in 2011 when they talk about Spider-Man learning Spider-Foo mm-hmm. and, and the fact that Spider-Woman kicked his ass last year. I thought that was cool. I was like, who throws back to that? That That's pretty amazing. I, I loved Mysterio in this book. I thought he was, he was fantastic. The, the whole, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> he runs away. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, and I, and I liked the scene with Rhino. I I really did. That scene with Rhino and, uh, Silver Sable, Mm -hmm. it was a little hard to watch. It was, you know, uh, that, that was, that was kind of a rough scene. I love the Silver Sable taking out Captain America earlier in the book and just her conversation as she's doing it, you know, telling him, thank you for holding back. I know you're in there fighting. Now, Aaron, We've heard about some things we've all liked. What about the indie did you dislike? You know, I it was the the ultimate scene between uh, Doc Ock and and Spider Man. I didn't care for the for the uh, interplay there, and you know I, I'm stuck. It, it, the the way Spider Man was finding his solutions every time it was very much a I don't I can't do this I can't do this because I don't have weight. Yes, I do. And it just seemed like that kind of rhythm was was happening throughout the book. You know, th- this whole, you know, doomsday button thing, you know, uh, you know, he says uh, the only plus it's also you know, dragging Dr. Octob- uh, Doc's octobits around. So at least they can't help him turn on his device by remote. Wait, you know, he's got to have a, a doomsday button. And I just there was that there was that rhythm throughout the book and it just. It became too predictable in how Spider-Man was going to respond to the situation. You know, I liked some of that earlier on where you could see his thinking, but I just didn't care for the way that played out towards the end. And it's just a matter of taste. I'm not saying it's bad. It just didn't resonate with me. I loved how he distracted Doc Ock long enough to break free of the arms, though. That uh, putting that little seed of doubt in his mind about whether his math was good or not. (laughs) Yeah, your math's wrong. No, my math. Is it? Could it be wrong? (laughs) (laughs) uh, One of my comments about this whole storyline up till now, I have a friend that when I buy buy all my books, after we talk about them on the podcast, I take them into work, give them to him, he reads them next. So he just caught up with Amazing Spider-Man, and he uh, he comes to me yesterday, he's like, hey, do you have the, uh, the last issue of Ends of the Earth? I'm like, well, yeah, I've got it, but I need to flip through it, talk about it on the podcast. And he was uh, he was all upset about it because he had just read all of Ends of the Earth in one sitting the night before and really got into it. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that this is going to read pretty well when put back, put together in a trade, except for the art going back and forth every <laughs> issue. Like, I like this. I like the art. I like this artist. But I have to say, if I was reading this in trade. I'm reading this individual issues and it's bothering me. In trade, it would drive me crazy going from one art style to the next and then back throughout the entire trade. I mean, I think if they're going to switch artists on and off, that's fine. One artist per storyline, though. Yeah, I think it makes it hard when you're coming out twice a month. Yeah, and I mean, I get why they do it. That's why I'm saying pick the one artist. Run him ragged and then give him a big long break while the other artist gets run ragged. Yeah, I, you know, it's not that I I disliked the book. I just 
I wasn't real happy with the way the 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 last scene between Doc Ock went, but it sounds like you guys were all happy with it. Yeah, that I I see what you're saying, but I I did, it didn't upset me. Yeah, it didn't upset me. I just I it was did like, it didn't it didn't detract from my enjoyment yeah. of the book. I, I am looking forward to uh, uh, next week's Avenging Spider-Man, where we get the kind of like the epilogue to the story. I'm not gonna have to buy Avenging Spider-Man. I, you know, I hate to say it, but I'm getting it because you know I have enjoyed the storyline. Me too. And uh, you know, I'm I'm exci- I, I'm interested to see how it wraps. You know, we may find out the ultimate fate of Rhino and Silver Sable. You oh, know, who, I have a hard time. Thinks, yeah, who thinks Silver Sable is actually dead? I I have a hard time believing that she's dead. And so since since we've since we've kind of tipped the spoiler there, that scene that we're talking about. Rhino, you know, Spider-Man's got his whole, you know, nobody, nobody dies today attitude. Spider-Man? And, yeah, Spider-Man, sorry. Yeah, nobody dies, nobody dies when I'm around thing. And so Rhino it, can't stop both Silver Sable and Spider-Man. So he holds Silver Sable's head under the water and says, I'm not moving from this spot, you know. <laughs> and so Spider-Man has to make the choice. Does he stay and try to save Silver Sable, which he really doesn't have the ability to do because he's not stronger than Rhino? Or does he go off and fight Doc Ock? And Silver Sable says, you know, you've got to go. You've got to go do it because, you know, if you don't, everybody dies. I love that scene in that interplay because Rhino doesn't even try to stop Spider-Man. He realizes that he wins. By standing there and killing yeah. Sable, and it is—it is a great moment for the Rhino character. It's a great moment for Silver Sable, and it is an excruciating moment for Spider-Man. Yeah, it was very well done. Yeah, and I, uh, and you know, it, for for story purposes, for character purposes, and and I hate to put it in these terms, but I kind of hope she's dead. You know, because that is a burden for Parker to bear. You know that you know, Shrew. I saved the day, but Silver Sable died, and I couldn't save her. Despite my, I was right there, and I. I was around. Yeah, I was there, and somebody died. This goes against the oath I made twenty some issues ago. Yeah, and you know, and it wasn't just a throwaway. You know, it wasn't just a throwaway thing that something's been integral to the story since it happened, and so I, I. from that point of view, I think we're probably going to get to find out that Silver Sable's – or led to believe at least that Silver Sable is dead for a while to come because I do think that's character motivation. Yeah, I think uh, P- Peter is really going to be a downer at the party that Mary Jane's trying to throw him. <laughs> I'd forgotten about the party. Come on, Pete. Let's dance. Oh, yeah. Somebody died. I'm going to miss how they – I think in every issue, Silver Sable at least once is jumping up the air with her legs splayed, shooting at people. I'm I'm going to miss that in my comic book. That is, that is a, a good element, you know. I mean, you can look at it in this issue when uh, well they're, they're first throwing down at the Avengers and you have that double page spread. Uh-huh. Uh huh. She's up in the top left corner shooting at it appears to be Hawkeye, but yep, legs just akimbo. <laughs> So yeah, I have really liked his voice of on Sable in this uh, story arc. Yeah, and I've never really liked her before. So he's he's made her much more interesting than the Black Widow because you know I thought you know the Black Widow would be an interesting character in this team up, but really she's kind of been a wallflower in the background. And it's really been all Sable. Yeah. So you know we 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 had several Spider books this week, and uh, in that Spider family we had Scarlet Spider number six. Hot off the heels of averting nuclear destruction in Houston last month, 
The Scarlet <laughs> Nuclear Destruction in Houston. That's right. That's right. Because there was a yeah. nu- there there was a nuclear, or as we call them here in Texas, nuclear uh, <laughs> uh, bomb hidden. Uh, you know, there in the city of Houston, that Scarlet Spider narrowly uh, averted the destruction, the 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 detonation of. Uh, and and so this week, this month on Scarlet Spider, it's got to be a much quieter month for him. Yeah. You know, what, what could possibly follow on the heels of uh, nuclear terrorism? Yeah, I mean, you you stop nuclear terrorism, you have to celebrate with tattoos and uh, concerts and churches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And exactly. beer? Uh, barbecue. Barbecue, yeah. Oh, there's – I'm sure there's beer through here somewhere. If I, if I flip through, I'll find him drinking something. He's got to be drinking. <laughs> So, Wayne, tell me what you thought of Scarlet Spider number six. I am still really enjoying this title. I love the voice they've given to Kane. I like that he didn't choose the name Scarlet Spider and that he's actually you know, annoyed that they've given him this name because he's he's got this whole uh, basically he's constantly down on himself mm-hmm. you know that he is not a good man the the person who had the name scarlet spider was a good man and he died and that he doesn't deserve to use that name and uh i really enjoy that about the character well and i love that the city of houston has embraced him yeah um you know the 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 press secretary for the mayor you know is is giving her uh her her speech to the press and she's like well the mayor's office has no official comment on the presence of a costumed superhuman operating out of Houston except to say it's about time <laughs> just nice it, yeah and it, it just cracks me up you know uh he continues to be the talk of Houston. Wherever the Scarlet Spider is and whoever he is, he seems dedicated to making Houston a safer place. He's probably out there right now saving lives. And then it cuts to him getting a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this book has just been so good. I have a, I do have a couple of minor things with this issue. I didn't like that there were four epilogues. It seemed a little excessive, and you yeah. you could have lost that fourth epilogue because they've got it on the back side of the letters page, and it's yeah. after the that teases the next issue. So I mean, I was just flipping. I was like, oh wait, there's one more page. There's one more epilogue. Yeah, yeah it's they overdid the epilogues a little bit, and the other the other thing I had with the issue, it wasn't a complaint about the issue itself. It's just. I don't know what's going on with the whole Craven family because I didn't read those stories. I don't either, Wayne. I'm right so, there with you. I have no idea what's going on with you know. I, I have a vague idea that you know. I, I, I think uh, Craven the Hunter I thought was supposed to be dead. Yeah, but, I'm curious which Craven this is that's standing yeah. there in Epilogue Four. That's like I hated that Paul wasn't on tonight because he's you know he'll throw money at anything. I know he's read the storyline. <laughs> Anybody anybody here know what's going on with the Cravens? No. Okay. What is that? You know, like Craven the Hunter and you know oh, yeah. Craven the Daughter and Yeah, the last thing I read was uh the storyline between Spider Girl and Craven's daughter. Same here. Same here. So, you know, you and I know about you know the same. But uh now Wayne, tell me about Ryan Stegman on the art. You know, I really like this art. It's uh it's not I don't, I don't know that I would say it's not the typical superhero art, but he doesn't really spend much time in costume. You know, I thought the uh, the concert, the art really fit the concert, 
and I like Craven's daughter here. I mean, the uh, especially the scene where she's standing there and her hair's down over her eyes and she's rifling through her bag, getting ready to, uh, you know, to actually start the fight. Mm-hmm. And that fight, I didn't expect such a public, you know, he's yeah. walking around in a concert and there's someone standing there with a knife and the fight is on. Well, and, you know, he chases her up into the rafters or up into the to the choir loft there at this church because the, the church has been rented out for this concert. And uh, uh, he chases her up into the choir loft and she reaches into her bag and you're thinking, oh, she's going to grab a knife, another weapon. No, she grabs a Molotov cocktail and throws it down into the rave going on downstairs. Yeah, I was so convinced <laughs> at that point when I'm reading it that, oh, she's just going to attack him and then she's going to take him outside and they're going to fight somewhere away from the crowd. And no, here's a Molotov right in the middle of the crowd. Yeah. So, uh, there's a, there's superheroes fighting in a concert that spills up into the rafters. Yeah, I know that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. They kind of, uh, kind of stole our thing. You know, I think that, uh, you know, Chris Yost is, is listening to a little Knights of Rainsboro. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. Ripping me off is what they're doing. Well, we won't sue if you decide to uh, write the Knights of Rainsboro book for free. How do you like that? <laughs> so I'm I'm really digging Scarlet Spider. Yeah. You know, we, I, didn't, we we didn't talk about issue number five uh, in in last when it was out last month, uh, but they had you know Chris Yost wrote it and they had a guest uh, penciler uh, in Neil Edwards and the artwork was fantastic. Fantastic in that issue. Not that yeah. uh, Stegman's yes. isn't in this issue, but uh, the way he drew the Scarlet Spider, it looked like a man in the suit. I mean, you could oh. see the facial expressions underneath the mask. You could see the toes in the in the feet, you know, underneath the the costume. I mean, it was just brilliantly drawn. Uh, Aaron, is it Stegman or is it Slagman? Slagman. Slagman. <laughs> Get in here. But I. You know, we've had six issues now of Scarlet Spider, and I got to tell you, this is a strong, strong book. And while, you know, there are certainly links to the Spider-Man storylines or to the Spider-Man history, um, this is its own book. It is very – he is not Peter Parker. You know, yeah. he, he is completely his own character. This is not a Spider-Man clone in terms of story. Um, it is It is very much its own book, and I am thoroughly digging it. Yeah, I mean, it's its own standalone story that just constantly references the past and a lot of the past that we enjoyed because it's back to the original Clone Saga even at times. And we're seeing Kane's character really grow. You know, he saves Craven's daughter at one point without even thinking about it. He just acts on instinct. And then he's wondering, why did I do that? Okay, so one more Spider-Man book to talk about this week, and this was the much-anticipated, somewhat-dreaded Ultimate Universe, 616 Universe crossover between Peter Parker, the Spider-Man we know, and Miles Morales, the Spider-Man of the Ultimate Universe. Oh, more than somewhat-dreaded. I uh, I decided to break down and buy the book, but I have been dreading this thing. Uh-huh. I didn't think this crossover should happen. And so, uh, Wayne? I still don't think the crossover should happen, but I really enjoyed this first issue. Did you really? Yeah. What did you enjoy about it? I enjoyed seeing the ultimate version of Mysterio mm-hmm. in the regular Marvel Universe. And Spider-Man and Mysterio really 
having no idea what's going on here. That uh, Spider-Man has no idea this isn't his Mysterio as they're fighting. I think my I think my absolute favorite moment of this issue is you know Spider-Man wanders into uh, what is clearly some supervillain's lair and there's something going on and he's trying to figure out what's going on so he's investigating and he picks up this big you know sphere you know big big glass ball you know and he turns it over looks at it and he realizes that what he's holding is Mysterio's helmet you know the the big glass ball and he's like. I hate this guy. <laughs> it just just cracks me up. I hate this guy. Yeah, there were a couple of really good Spider-Man moments in this story because mm-hmm. this issue was entirely a Peter Parker issue. Yeah, yeah, and it's as you're going through, you're seeing him interact with uh, Mysterio, and Mysterio talks about how uh, you know he missed he missed it when he was died the first time. And Spider-Man has no clue what's yeah, going on. What the hell are you talking about? But yeah. then when Spider-Man rescues someone in the Ultimate Universe, and the guy's like, man, that costume's in bad taste. Yeah. You know, no offense, but uh, yeah, you Peter know, that's Parker's Peter dead, Parker's man. costume. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Peter's doing that. What? What are you talking about? I don't know what you're saying. You know, <laughs> what, what are these words coming out of your mouth? Yeah, no, it, the, uh, it was very enjoyable. Now, if you are, you know, excited about, you know, hopping in hot to a uh, crossover to see Miles and Peter talking, you'll be waiting until the very last issue of the very last page of this book, because Miles doesn't show up until the very last panel on the very last page. Yeah, and I, I really enjoyed the issue, but this was just a Peter Parker Spider-Man issue. Right. It wasn't. You know, the, the crossover doesn't really happen until the last page. Although there are a lot of cool moments with the Ultimate Universe in here, with him looking out at the city that looks different than his now at this point. Yeah. You know, him dropping in a skyline on some woman getting out of the shower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the triskeleton, him just seeing it out there, you keep wondering, what is that? I mean, there's a lot of cool moments interacting with the Ultimate Universe, but. Yeah. Not with Ultimate Spider-Man yet. So you recommend it? Yeah, I really enjoyed this first issue. I still don't think the crossover should have ever happened. But now that it's happening, I'm going to be buying it. And I enjoyed the first issue, so hopefully I'll enjoy the second. All right. Well, you know, uh, you know, we had a little bit of Ultimate Universe and Spider-Man number one. So let's go all into the Ultimate Universe with Ultimate Comics X-Men number 13. Oh, I loved this issue. This is one of my favorite ish- favorite books of the week. I, I, you know, I gotta say, Wayne, I'm not sure how I feel about this book. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I had really enjoyed the uh, Ultimate Universe when you and I both hopped in uh, so many issues ago, but uh, I don't. I, I keep hearing how uh, Kitty Pride talks about how she's the, you know most infamous terrorist ever known. And it seems like we've been talking about that for several issues now. And I'm waiting for her to do something terrible. You know, yeah, I I'm, mean, I'm waiting for her to terrorize someone. They mentioned it in the first issue. And the problem is this book's a little schizophrenic. A little bit. I mean, you'll start off with one storyline with Kitty and them. Then you'll jump into a different storyline entirely. You know, then you'll jump into the, uh, the storm and Colossus storyline. All of these happening relatively the same time but in different places right. and you'll have the uh, the one issue with havoc in it and the book can't make up its mind what it is 
the story I want to read is around Kitty and this group here, this core group. These are the issues I'm enjoying the most. That's one of the reasons why this issue I love so much. I really like Ultimate Kitty Pride. Mm-hmm. And I like in this issue that she takes the, the Shroud costume and just gets rid of it. That she is not the Shroud anymore. She is Kitty Pride, and she's tired of hiding. But, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I get all that. I just – I'm ready for that part to move along. And, and I guess my, my frustration is some of the pacing on this book. Yeah, and I think that a lot of that comes from the fact that it's a schizophrenic book. Yeah. I mean, they started telling the story, progression was being made, and then they jump backwards for like a couple days to do another three-part story that was separate of this. Yeah. No, I, I, I think I think you put your finger on it that you know it's just it's jumping around a little much, and so while it's very refreshing to get something that's so Kitty Pride focused in this issue. You know, we launched this whole storyline about her. And so when we deviate, like, onto the Storm Colossus story, which I enjoyed, it delayed the main story. Uh, and so it just does it, I, I don't feel like I'm in a rhythm on this yet, even though we're 13 issues in. Yeah. And that's my issue with the title is I'm enjoying what I read in it, but it's the pacing is all off. The title's schizophrenic. It can't make up its mind what it's about. I mean, it's telling some good stories. That maybe should be two books instead of one. Uh, I hate to say that. <laughs> I, I yeah, do too. You're probably but really. right. You probably need like, like everybody else track and then Kitty Bride. Yeah, because the core Kitty group, that's what we kicked off with. That's the story I'm enjoying. <laughs> the core and, Kitty group. That's got to be the name yeah. of that book, Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> Kitty Pride and the X-Men. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. So are you, are you, are you still in on Ultimate Comics? Oh yeah, I'm still in for it. I uh, I think it's even though it's schizophrenic, I still am enjoying the book. And this next storyline is supposed to be all about the kitty group, so I'm I'm all about the kitty. All about the kitty. So uh, Andrew, yes. Now uh, you and I both really enjoyed the Amikami Wonder Woman digital comic, uh, the first issue. Yes, we, we have. We did not talk about the second issue. I don't believe. I don't think so. Yeah. And so here we are with issue three of the three-part story to Amikami Wonder Woman uh, Digital First. Um, what you think? Well, I guess I have two things. Uh, one, I really enjoy the all three. I think it's well worth your ninety-nine cents an issue. Uh, so you know, two ninety-eight for all three. I think the art's beautiful. I, I enjoy the storyline. But that being said, I think the third one's probably the weakest for me. Okay, tell me why. I did not really care for the character design of the cheetah. I, you know, it was a little too manga for me. Yes, where and this is which is odd because this is a manga inspired comic book universe. But if you look at Wonder Woman, she is not heavy manga. I mean, right. she she has a little some of the elements you'd traditionally see in that art style, but she is not as, as into it as say the cheetah is in this right. one. Well, and like the. You know, Cheetah's uh, expressions, reactions, like there's that scene where uh, Wonder Woman lassos her up. I mean, it's just a very, you know, uh, manga, you know, shriek that Cheetah has. You know, her eyes are overly stylized, mouth, tongue. I mean, it doesn't even look like that's her tongue. It's just kind of, you know, hovering in her mouth. You know, I just I don't care for for how they did the Cheetah. But that's my only complaint. I dug everything else, but the problem yeah. is the cheetah is almost on every page of this issue. 
Yeah, or like you know, when the cheetah gets kicked to the floor and she has that that facial expression with her mouth. That's uh-huh. something you see in manga. I don't know what the right term is, so sorry to, to anyone. It's called manga mouth. It's called manga okay. mouth. Okay, yeah, MM for short. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, so that makes me a little nervous. So this one wraps up uh, with seeing three villains hanging out in their lair. You see, you got the Joker's daughter, Cat Girl. <laughs> And poison <laughs> ivy there. Yeah. So I, I'm a little worried it's going to become a more heavily manga influence, which shouldn't be a surprise because that's how it's built. But I, I'm certainly in. This storyline seems to be going straight into Batgirl, Amikami One. Right. And, and I'm in for it. I'm so, I'm going to pick it up. Yeah, I'm I'm I am hopeful, but I I was not as jazzed as I was about you know the Wonder Woman content. Uh, I was less so at the end of the book when we got to see, you know, Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and you know, Joker's daughter. Because it's like a it's like a hard stylistic shift because you yeah. have this Wonder Woman universe that we've been enjoying, and, and it seems like it's going to shift away from that style into something uh, different with yeah. with introducing these other people. Yeah, and the Amanda the the uh, Amanda Connor artwork on this is just fantastic. Oh yeah. I mean, it is just fantastic, and you know, I, I'm gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about Amanda Connor here in a little bit, but uh, you know, she is such an extraordinarily talented artist. I, I think I'm pretty much following her wherever she goes because I just really enjoy her her pencils. It's it's been a gorgeous book, and uh, again, for 99 cents, yeah, it's 99 cents, yeah, no, and 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 done well for for the digital medium, you know, yeah, just. I, just it's a huge, it's a huge steal. Even number three, which is my least favorite of three Wonder Woman's, I, I still think it's a steal for ninety nine cents. Completely agree, completely agree. And, I, and I'm interested to see what comes out on Monday. I want to see what the Batgirl book is like. I'm ready to see some more Catwoman. Yep. Mm. So, mm. so uh, you know, Catwoman, she you know as often appears in the pages of Batman. And what came out this week? But Batman and Robin number ten, Tim. Yeah. Well, Batman and Robin 10 starts the War of the Robins. It's a war. That's what of it says. Robins. And, you know, there were some complaints a couple weeks ago about how there were some lying covers in the Batman universe. But I would go as far to say that this cover was accurate and true. Oh, yeah. It totally was. It totally was. I, I, love, I love this book because I hearken back to the, you know, the Red Robin, uh, Damian Wayne books. Or the Red Robin books have focused on Damian Wayne and Tim Drake and how they really don't like each other at all. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, I it was, really, it was, I, no, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go, you, you're in the middle. Go. You go. I was just going to say I I appreciated the, the homage that, that that paid to their characters. I liked um, – I, I kind of liked the setup for, for the, the ending of this book where – it didn't diminish either character at all. But but didn't you kind of want Tim to just paste him? A little bit, but then you know you you hear what Damien has to say, and he has a point. Mm-hmm. And I I liked how he and he left it. Yeah, that that was a powerful scene, and it seems like he drilled that through Tim's skull finally. Mm-hmm. And you know I. I just love the brass balls on Damian Wayne getting Jason Todd, Dick Grayson and uh, Tim Drake all together on a rooftop and delivering his ultimatum to them and then <laughs> swinging away. That was funny. <laughs> that was some, that was some brass balls that kid had. 
What are you? Curious, like, like what are we fighting? What? <laughs> well, you know, he's. It, I, I love his his dialogue there. I'm serving notice, day or night, when you least expect it. I'm going to defeat you at something you feel unbeatable at. <laughs> You're going to attack us? Yes. Then I'm going to take something personal of yours as a memento and hang it in my room. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and you know, he said all that. And I'm like, okay, so he's going to challenge one of them to Xbox. Yeah. <laughs> well, that would be that would be Dick Grayson. <laughs> yeah, but I love the Jason Todd because they're such a. Again, we've said it before, but Batman Robin is like the family book, and mm-hmm. and there's just such a dysfunctional tactic between Jason Todd, Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, and Damian Wayne. Like when they show up, they're talking about the portrait study, and Jason Todd's like, huh, guess I wasn't invited to that. <laughs> yeah, guess my invitation got lost in the mail. You know, it's going to be really rough for Davia being only Ted to beat uh, Jason Todd at what he does best. Because, I mean, you know, how will he ever please Starfire better than Jason Todd did? <laughs> That's oh, true. You'll be surprised. That could be challenging. There are there are there are devices he could utilize. <laughs> the bat vibrator. <laughs> I wasn't going to go that far. Let's get back on track. <laughs> now I can all think all I can think of now is Jonathan Landers' grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Nana? You know, I think one of my favorite parts of this book was the portrait sitting. I mean, I, I like that Bruce is doing family stuff with his boys. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I, I really dug that. You know, and that, and you know, and it's not just hey, let's all get our get our portrait painted or all get our picture taken. It is, you know, there's a there's a whole line of Wayne legacy throughout the manor showing the families that have lived in that home, and you know, Bruce is embracing that, you know, and it's not just a we're keeping up appearances. It's he's embracing this. He's bringing his boys together. I, I dug that. I, I I like this is a part of Batman we we never get to see. And I like that that this is a piece of it that they brought into the new 52. I also am really intrigued by these four or five villains. I guess the four villains we see at the beginning where it shows them in the center of each panel. And then around you see these horrible, disfiguring accident that occurred. Yeah. I've, I've never seen any of these people. I don't know if they're brand new. I don't know if they've been around. But I, especially the three guys who were in the car fire, are like, <laughs> oh, I cannot wait to see what his special power is. Well, and the guy who just walks around with a battering his head. <laughs> yeah, apparently has uh, Tourette's now. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good stuff. I just say, it, the guy with the footprint on his face. <laughs> yeah, that's harsh. Uh, that's hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. Yeah. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing more of them as the uh, Batman Rub- as this run continues on Batman and Robin. Batman and Robin is such an excellently written book. I, it is. I am really enjoying it. Now, I know when I chatted with Paul about this earlier in the week, his complaint about the book is that he felt like Damien, that his character was different than issue nine. You know, that the that they had regressed the character in uh, – uh, you know that he was he was back to where he was pre New Fifty Two, and I heard Tim say that that's what he liked about this this book. I would say this: when you put a young kid together with a bunch of other kids, they tend to regress back to their their prior patterns of behavior. So even though 
Damian Bruce's relationship may have changed and evolved. You throw him back together with this, you know, punk ass who's been giving him trouble, and the two of them are going to fall into the similar patterns they had before. Yeah. I know that nobody else read it here, but I you? just want to I just want to briefly state that uh, before Watchmen Silk Spectre number one, which is co-written by Darwin Cook and Amanda Connor with pencils by Amanda Connor, is a charming story with beautiful artwork. And uh, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it from first page to last. And so far, uh, the Before Watchmen books are two for two with me. Minutemen last week was fantastic. Silk Spectre this week was fantastic. I'm thrilled with the quality of these books. And, I would uh, say that I, I have nothing against Silk Spectre, but with all these books that are coming out for Before Watchmen, I got to pick and choose a little bit where I put sure. my where I put my cash and uh, I'm glad to hear it was a good read, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the comedian and or shock. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I am, I am obligated to say Aaron that you're a communist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I am sticking with my, uh, just like the Spider-Man crossover. This should have never happened. What? Except unlike Spider-Man, I am not spending a dime on the Watchmen prequels. Well, why should this never, why should this have never happened? Because Watchmen was a nice, good, uh-huh. self-enclosed story. Sure. We don't need more of it. It really? was done. It was See, done. You, and you don't want. You think once something's it. made inside an intellectual property, nothing else should ever be made within that intellectual property? How about Battlestar Galactica? The original Battlestar Galactica series was was great for its time. Why do they need to make a, a, a revamp of it? A revamp and a remake is different than a prequel or a second story. So, so you can't have a, a a second movie in a trilogy. You should just stop at Star Wars and never have any uh, Empire Strikes Back. You, typically, the sequels aren't very good. So Star you didn't think this is the exception? Uh huh. So no, no Godfather. And the too. prequels actually goes back. Actually, I haven't seen either of the Godfathers. I don't like uh, uh-huh. mob movies. I'm just saying that it seems like your premise that you should only have the original content and that that by having good original content outlaws any ability to make any additional content seems like a flawed premise to me, Wayne. I think if you create a good story and you don't touch it for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, then you probably shouldn't go back and taint your original story. That's all I don't think it. I don't think it's tainted it. I, Aaron, we've read two issues in. Do you think it's tainting the legacy of the Watchmen? Not at all. I I, no. I I thoroughly enjoyed these books. If I read these books and they were crap, I'd agree with you, Wayne. I'd say it's a disgrace. But the two I, issues in. I can tell you that having read these two books, they have been lovingly created. Darwin Cook poured his guts into Minutemen. And the... I was not really expecting to like Silk Spectre, to be brutally honest. Picked it up because I was curious about it and was so surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And it's not your typical superhero story. You know, it's very much a, a story written for uh, teenage girls. And uh, I, I appreciated the story. That's why that Aaron it, liked it. That is exactly <laughs> why. Well, you know, well, it, it, went, it went nicely with my new issue of Teen Beat. So, uh, so <laughs> I, my question I just by Watchmen was a complete story. It was everything we needed out of that world, and we don't need those glimpses back into the past of the world. If I, you read it, if you read it, Wayne, and have that opinion, I, I would listen to you. But if you don't read it and say we don't need something, even though I don't know what this something is and I haven't read it and haven't taken the time to investigate it, I can't take you too seriously. If you read it and say this is horrible, it disgraces the Watchmen name, well, then, then I – 
you've got somewhere to stand on. But without unread, I, I can't take you seriously on this. Well, I, you know, I'm playing ambivalent way more than I, I, I have passion about it like Wayne does. But I'm on Wayne's side of the fence because I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna channel all the all the nerds and say that you can't throw Alan Moore in a box and flip him the middle finger. They I offered to can. give him money. I mean, <laughs> Alan yep. Moore has, has sat on his side of the fence and refused to deal for 20 years. You know, Andrew, that's, Andrew, that's like if you you got you got offered free ice cream from the ice cream tray after he touched you once inappropriately. It's like <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't really think that's yeah, a good idea. Alan Moore's batshit hey, crazy. I, 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 don't really I get care free about ice him. cream all the time now, so you know, don't discount yeah. that. Oh, that's that's <laughs> Never but, mind, you have to sit on a donut. You know, I, I, I agree <laughs> with Wayne's comment that Watchmen was a complete story. Yes. But I'll also say that, you know, uh, stories that we've enjoyed such as, um, oh, I don't know, Superman Doomsday. You know, that was a complete story. We continued to tell Superman stories. You know, I, this is the nature of comics. This is what we do. We we continue to fill the gaps, and there were gaps. We never got to see much of what the Watchmen were like in their early days, other than flashbacks within that book. Now, you can certainly be a reader and say, "Yeah, Watchmen was good enough for me. I don't need those other books." But okay, but, I, to, but to be fair, Aaron, has there been as good a Superman story as the death and funeral of Superman since? Probably I, I not. I was going to say, I, yeah. I haven't been interested since then. I, You know, I read those books after. I probably read for five years after. Um, I would say that I, – I will say that the reign of the Superman were some of my favorite books, and the return of Superman w- w- was, was, were strongly written. I enjoyed those. So, yes, I would say, I would say that the return of Superman w- was as good as the death of Superman. Well, I would – I would challenge Wayne. I would say, Wayne, just read Before Minutemen with us. And read it. If you hate it, then we can talk about what you hate about it, and, and we can have a discussion about it. But just you know, saying, I'm never going to read it, and I hate it, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't hold oh, water. I'm not saying I hate it. I'm saying it should have never existed. There's a difference. But you're saying, it, you're saying you'll think it should it exist. Without, I can't hate it without having read it. You're saying I it shouldn't exist because that. it disgraces the Watchmen name. You're saying it's not needed, but if you don't read it, how do you know it's not needed? How do you know it's not going to be a great supplement to the Watchmen story? Because the Watchmen was a complete story. Those are characters that when you read it as well, they don't really fit. Like, you know that they had a superheroic past, but they're characters that aren't really over-the-top characters. I don't want to see Night Owl in action. I don't want to see the others in action when they were younger because the characters to me are not who they were when they're younger. They are these older characters that aren't really in action. I mean, you can't I can't really visualize him, you know, getting out there and doing the superhero thing because he's a more down to earth except for having a giant uh, you know, owl thing in his basement. Other than that, he's a very down-to-earth character. So you're talking about Night Owl 2, I think. Yes, Night Owl 2. Okay, so, I mean, when the Bidman, I mean, it's Night Owl 1. It's it's the original Night Owl. That's the right. guy who writes the uh, the story that interspaces the graphic novel. Who, Correct. I, I can't, uh, under the... Under the, the hood. I, under the hood, right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, to, for me, learning more about guys like 
what was it, the masked vigilante? God, that guy's scary. Uh, <laughs> really kind of enhances my enjoyment because these are things that, uh, I mean, the original Minutemen were, were, except for a couple of flashbacks, were hardly touched in the original Watchmen. And learning more about the moth, oh, that guy's got, guy's got issues. Yeah. Uh, I, have a, I have a fundamental problem with prequels, though. I really okay. do. This isn't just having to do with tie with Watchmen. All right. I, I have a problem enjoying stories where I, I know in in general what's going to happen, what the outcome's going to be. Yeah. yeah. So what happens to the moth? What's his eventual outcome? Uh, he doesn't make it to the movie, so he's irrelevant. He gets locked up. I think is what happens. I think uh, you see that in the movie. He gets thrown in in the in the in mental institution or something. Yeah. That there you go. That there you go. He ends up a crazy guy. He he becomes institutionalized, right? Right. So I mean, I I really enjoyed it, and and I again I would say Wayne, just check out this one title, check out before uh, Watchmen Minutemen, and then if you hate it, we can talk about it. Otherwise, just saying that once you have a complete story, you can't tell any other stories within that universe ever. I you know I, I can't take that seriously. I have to say, you know, I, there are some things that that I wish people would just leave alone. You know, uh, you know stories that I wish they would leave alone. For instance, Kingdom Come. <laughs> uh, well, Highlander, you know, I, I, was a movie that didn't need a sequel because, you know, it was it had a beginning, middle and an end. You know, there 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 can be only one. And, hey, at the end of the movie, there was only one. Aaron, and then if, it became, had been, if it had been a good movie, I bet you would have liked it. Well, and that's my point, because if the subsequent movies had been of the same caliber and quality, I probably wouldn't have had a problem with them. But, you know, because I, I was in their opening weekend to see Highlander 2, The Quickening. Oh, you oh, poor, oh, poor Aaron. Oh. It was I feel like, like I should send you flowers it now. It was rough. It was rough, I'll tell you. But, you know, you can tell that DC has put a lot of thought into this. It wasn't just a, a mad rush for, uh, for, for the dollars. So far. Yeah. These first two issues have had top-notch talent on them you can tell that they have thought about them that they they you know put their best foot forward and i really appreciate that because you know i watchman is a book i go back and read every other year or so you know i love the movie i love the book and i'm excited that i'm getting to add to that watchman experience and because they're telling stories of people you know like you know al one and Silk Spectre one, um, you know, they're they're they are they're telling you stuff that you didn't get to see in the original book. You know, it's not a crowded space. I'm digging it. And my, my question for you, Aaron, is what what's the general storyline of Silk Spectre one because uh, of the, the first issue of of this comic? Because it, you know, I looked at the three preview pages and I couldn't really quite tell. Well, you know, it is the the training of her daughter. You know, the the Silk Spectre one. You know, single mom. And she's training her daughter to fill her shoes as a superhero. So this is after the divorce. Correct. It's after – okay. And so it is – you know, her 15-year-old daughter is feeling the oppression of having to, to join the family business as it were and you know the rigorous training and you know she just wants to be a girl and date boys and you know gossip at school. You know, she wants to be a teenage girl. And, you know, her mom's not allowing her time for that. And, right. uh, you know, she also has to deal with the knowledge that people know who her mom is. You know, her mom is, doesn't really have a secret identity. And, you know, as we saw in the pages of Watchmen, you know, mom has, uh, you know, kind of – she was kind of a pinup girl. 
and you know made some movies <laughs> <laughs> some questionable movies. yeah and so you know she, it's the pressure of being a teenager and you know the your, your friend brings brings the uh, girly mag featuring your mom you know it's it's that kind of book it's a it's a very teen centric book and i surprisingly enough i dug the hell out of it is this gonna be another six issue book um i'm not sure how many issues this is man but the the first issue was fantastic mm. okay i'm not pressuring you andrew i'm just saying that i really enjoyed it and I just, so far, you know, both of these uh, watch before Watchmen books have been, you know, hits right out of the park. I've just loved them both. One well, again, I love the I love Minutemen, and and I'm I know I'm picking up Rorschach and comedian, but uh, uh, I'll I'll think I'll l- let me see what I can let me talk to my accountant. Let's see what I can work <laughs> out. The six issues at three ninety nine. That's essentially twenty four bucks. Uh, yeah, I understand. I understand. By right. your accountant, do you mean you're going to see if you can buy them without your wife realizing? <laughs> no, I actually meant maybe I'll go sell some plasma. But there you go, there you go. You don't need all that plasma. My body can make more. That's right. That's right. So Wayne, yeah, let's see. You're not like Aaron, who now has the money to spend on these because he's not spending on an incorruptible anymore. Oh man. Oh, there you go. There. You know, I held off on reading issue 29 so that I could read it with issue 30 because uh, you know, incorruptible ended this week. Uh, by our good friend Mark Wade and over there at the uh, the the Boom Studios, Weiner, you've been in in this one with me. Oh yeah, I've been in from the beginning on on both books, and we already talked about the Irredeemable ending. Well, and I gotta say, you know, one of my complaints about Irredeemable was that I didn't feel like we got an epilogue, other than you know that ending that you and I talked about in very very uh, limited terms. Right. This book was the epilogue to Irredeemable. Yes, I I liked how it filled that role. That it was yeah. we get to see what happens in the world after what happened in Irredeemable. I like that this wrapped up Max's story, and you you see his full character progression. And I really like that we brought back Jailbait yeah. into the forefront. Yeah, and those last couple pages. I was smiling like crazy, and it reminded me of when we were first talking about this book back in the beginning, and I was making comments about the two of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could not have been happier with this wrap-up. I am so glad that Mark Wade decided that he he was going to write, you know, wrap up these books. Because I, to be honest, as much as I love the books, it was reaching the point of I don't know how much more he could have done with them anyway. And to to take the time to actually craft endings to both books and to tie them together and wrap up all of the loose you know threads that are going, it made it more satisfying that we have a complete ending to these stories. Yeah, and I, and I really like. I mean, because really, the person to wrap up the irredeemable story is incorrupt is uh, Max Damage. You know, to wrap up the Plutonian story, you you, you hear his greatest, you know, uh, nemesis, uh, you know, talk about, you know, uh, the Plutonian. And so there's this great scene where he is uh, talking to a crowd of people, you know, after the world has been saved. And he's talking about this fight that he had had with the Plutonian. And he says, well, anyway, 
Plutonian and I are squaring off, getting ready, and I think and he, they're, they're in this uh, other dimensional powerless cube, so they're both weak. And he says, I think, no way this guy knows how to fight. I mean it. No reason to learn, right? A guy who can crush you with a bus is going to send for Aikido lessons? So I've got to be aggressive. Explode on him right out of the box. He won't have the first idea how to defend. And I'm thinking very fast. Speed of thought. It's like first I blink, and then I think everything I just told you about what a terrible fighter he is and how I'm going to beat him. And then I blink again and open my eyes in the back of an ambulance with a broken jaw. Son of a bitch fought like Tyson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I loved that whole epilogue and just seeing Max's progression into the character he is now versus who he originally was. Uh, That that whole conversation he has with Jailbait, I was smiling. I was grinning ear to ear on it. I loved that conversation. Well, and and one of the funny things about it is that, you know, this is a a 30-issue series – Issues 1 through 29, there is almost no exposition in those books. I mean, it's just all Max Damage doing stuff. You never get to know what's on his mind. And issue 30 is all Max Damage opening up and talking about what he'd had in his mind, what he was thinking, what he's thinking now. And you know, it's an extraordinarily talky book. In fact, I don't think there's a, a fight in this book other than the one that he references about between him and the Plutonian. Well, I love it that like normally when something like this happens, you would say it's out of character or something. But they even comment on that. Yeah. You know, before you couldn't pull anything out of it with pliers. Now, now he, he never won't shuts shut up. up. Yeah. <laughs> he won't shut up now. I, you know, I was real interested in how Mark Wade was going to wrap this one up, given how he wrapped up Irredeemable and how Irredeemable's ending was so pitch perfect. Um, and I have to say, I found the ending to this very satisfying. Yeah, I the whole run he's he's taken us on a roller coaster that's been uh, exciting beginning to end, and I did think it kind of stretched on a little bit at times between the two books, but it has been a wonderful story, and it's I couldn't have been happier with how he wrapped them up. I'm so glad he decided to to do the endings now instead of stretching it on for longer. Now I understand there's been an announcement that there will be a before incorruptible and a before irredeemable series coming out soon. <laughs> <laughs> so Wayne, you in for that? <laughs> <laughs> so Andrew, we didn't get to talk about it last week. No, we didn't. But there's we a had... little there's a little Winter Soldier action going on. We did. We had Winter Soldier number six came out, which you'd think would be starting a new storyline, but it's a very, very interconnected storyline to the first storyline. So it feels almost like the same story, just kind of moving, moving on just a little bit. Yeah. Changing focus just a touch. Yeah. Because Bucky, you know, he wants to figure out what happened to that third Zephyr agent that never showed up. Yeah, who just disappeared. What the hell happened to that guy? So uh, he heads to San Francisco, beats the crap out of some AIM guys, and does a little investigating. I like that when you when you need to beat the hell out of somebody, aim guys are good guys to do that with. Well, you can't see their face. So it's not it's, they're not even like they're people. Well, and yeah, they're wearing those douchebag costumes, those douchebag uniforms. I mean, you know, come on. And there's plenty of them for everyone to beat up. You're yeah. asking for it. That's yeah. That's kind of my point. It looks like those things were costumes were designed in the eighties or something. That's right. Yeah, yeah, they're ridiculous. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. So basically, you find out this third agent. He's, he's gone rogue. He's on the prowl, and he's got a bone to pick with Bucky. Really, this issue is all set up. Yeah. What did you think about Aaron? 
Uh, I have a big complaint about this issue. Let's see if it's the same as mine. Go ahead. There is a curious absence of gorillas shooting guns. No, it's different than mine. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was your objection, Andrew? Well, let's let's address yours first uh, before we move on. I, I agree. This book would have been made much better by having gorillas shooting guns at people. Exactly. I, you know, I, I was given over the last couple of issues, you know, gorillas with guns. Um, there are no but, gorillas. But never with enough. Guns. I'll be honest. It, yeah, no, there, there was never enough. I mean, they, when they were when they were employed, they were employed well. But I needed I needed more all on monkey action. It, he only used a jetpack once. I, once. I would love to see. Yeah. I would love to see the grill use the jetpack again. Yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Is that a jetpack? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I just uh, I was coming to this expecting it to move on to a completely different storyline. Right. And so the taking the thread from the first storyline and, and I was just ready for something different. And so I was a little disappointed that. It's kind of more of, of these rogue Zephyr agents and, and the mischief they're going to get up to. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was just looking for a different a change in the focus of the storyline, and I was a little disappointed when I didn't get it. Are you still in for seven? Yeah, I mean, I still like it. I, I, I'm still enjoying it. I like spy stuff. Uh, I, I like the Black Widow. So, no, I'm, I'm definitely in. Plus, there may be more gorillas with guns later on. Well, I, that that is what I need. I mean, and, and perhaps maybe we could have you know a special double sized all gorilla with guns issue. Oh yeah, that would be great. It'd be hot. And I would also say the cover was fairly weak on this one. Yeah, you know, I they have had some better covers for the uh, Winter Soldier series, but I'm still really digging the interiors. Oh yeah, no, the interior yeah. is as strong as it has ever been. It is stylized, but we've talked about it in the past. I don't yeah. think we need to recap that discussion. I agree. But the interior art is as awesome uh, as it's at the high. It's the quality it's always been. But I would say they've had one, two, three, five covers that are better than this one in the series. So good stuff there. Um, I, uh, I I'm really digging Winter Soldier, and uh, I'm glad that Marvel is sticking with this book for a little while. So, yay, yay, yay. So uh, our good friend Sardell from the forums and the twitters. Um, has provided us with a gift copy, a gift digital copy of Atomic Robo Volume One. So do we do any of us not own that? Well, it's it's for us to give to one of our listeners. Oh, sorry, because oh, I bet Tim doesn't own it because it is digital. No, this is a gift copy for a giveaway for one of our listeners, and uh, I, I, I've been trying to think of what a suitable contest might be. And you know, it dawns on me that it's been a while since we've had a fresh iTunes review. Um, so here's the deal. Go out over the next two weeks. So uh, uh, this is going to release on the 18th. So through the end of June, so you have until July 1st, to enter up an iTunes review, do a screenshot, shoot it to, the, to ideologyofmadness at gmail.com. And uh, we will randomly select one winner who has uh, submitted an iTunes review. I'm not. I'm not asking you to write, you know, something that you don't believe, but just uh, write an iTunes review. Wow, Eric, that's better marketing than John Carter had. Had to work it in there, Wayne, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> and for those of who have never read Atomic Robo. Atomic Robo is amazing. Yeah, Atomic Robo is a fantastic book. We don't talk about it enough on this show, but uh, Atomic Robo is just uh, is just fantastic pulp goodness. 
you know, he fights his uh, arch nemesis, Dr. Dinosaur. You know, you've just you just got to love Atomic Robo. Uh, the know, free. I'm okay, if we cut out some of the digital comic discussion and you can slip in your Atomic Robo. <laughs> could do that. You know, the the free comic book day issues of Atomic Robo are available on Comicsology for free. Absolutely. So, uh, if you do read things digitally, sorry, Tim, uh, just go check it out. Uh, I think 2008 or 2009, I think, is the first issue they have yeah. on Comixology. And uh, and every uh, single one of their free comic book day books was wonderful. Yeah, it's a full comic book. It's not it's no teaser. It's no preview. It's n- nothing like that. It's an actual full comic book. And uh, one last note, if uh, you enjoy Knights of Rainsboro, and uh, you know, as we mentioned at the top of the show, we've got a redonkulous amount of uh, Knights of Rainsboro content coming your way. But if you're a fan of Knights of Rainsboro, Knights of Rainsboro, or any of our ideology of mag, ID, well, I can't talk. Wow, did you have a stroke? <laughs> I think I may have. Is that toast? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh. Call, call the doctor. If you are a fan of Knights of Rainsboro or any of our Ideology of Madness actual play recordings, uh, go on over to the RPG Podcast Listener Survey. There's a link in the show notes. And uh, tell them about your love for Ideology of Madness. Go over there and uh, you know say nice things. And that's what I've got this week, guys. How about you? Uh, if you can't be good, be safe. And if you can't be an American, be a communist. I got it. And and Wayne wants you to go read before Watchmen and before Incorruptible and before Irredeemable. Oh yeah, buy, buy three copies. Send him one. <laughs> Y'all have a good week. Bye. Everybody. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of IdeologyofMadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. <laughs>